Welcome to a new episode of Parole. Today's guest is Carmen Nebigira. For those who don't know, she's a woman who was and still is the loudest voice of tourism, not only in Burundi, but also in the East African region. Our conversation starts with her interest in hospitality, an area that was and still is not well known in some parts of Africa, and it ends with her sharing nuggets of what she's currently working on. Here's another episode that is aiming to changing the mind and highlight the endless potential of Africans. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Madame Nivigila Carmen. Who are you? Oh, good evening. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a, a bit more about who you are? Although I presume some people really know who you are, but they just that's a, they just pretend. That's a big- that's a big assumption, actually. That's I think, not. <laughs> I, I think on social media, people think they know people and then realize, actually, it's not. So, uh, um, of course, I'm from Burundi. Uh, something both of us share very dearly to our hearts. Yeah. Uh, I'm a mother of two boys. Okay. Uh, I'm professional in the hospitality and tourism sector over the last two decades, so 20 years in industry, uh, various uh, positions and and work I have done in different Mm -hmm. countries. I am currently residing in Rwanda, and uh, pretty much that's me. I'm the first born uh, in a family of only four girls. Um, Okay. uh, Yeah. Here we go. What it's, else? That's, <laughs> that's so cool. I mean, when I see people know you, it's it's interesting because, as I told you last time, is that every time I hear people working or kind of like at some point they work in the tourism industry, I hear only one name and it's yours. And I'm like, is there any other person who worked in tourism in Burundi? Because we're pretty much oh, ten millions of. I, I I I think there are many Burundians who work in the industry, and then especially those who are already in the country because we have hotels running, we have a sure. restaurant, cafe, uh, travel agents. So there are several names. Maybe for me, the reason maybe you say I'm the one who's known is just because I have been passionate about the industry. I highly okay. speak about this sector and, and I dedicated my, in the last two, 20 years, my career to really speak out and then demystify yeah. what this sector is because uh, taking maybe from my own example, my parents didn't really believe that this could be a career. They always mm-hmm. thought that it's just like by default, <laughs> that I should be something else, like a physiotherapist, which was my first dream, okay. or be a lawyer or a doctor. Uh, yeah, sure. something like that. But I I had always been interested in traveling and then curious mm-hmm. about culinary art, good foods, Okay. And that that prompted me into this direction. All right. So I'll have lots of questions regarding what you just said now. But let's just go back a little bit. But, you know, talk about the Carmen who studied, you know, decided to study tourism. When and why, actually? Um, when? So actually, I think I... From an early age, my, my, my mom and my dad, specifically, I give credit to my dad. My dad mm-hmm. exposed us as, a, as a, his uh, four daughters to diff- various ways. And then we travel around the country. 
Uh, I was exposed to, before I even turned 10, I had been to some provinces in Burundi. I had, okay. I had been to some places amazing in, in Burundi. And I was, a, I was a domestic tourist in my own country. Okay, that's great. In Burundi, how July and August, all the expats would go on holiday. And yes. then there are people who, for them, they will, they will be idle, nothing to do. So my dad would bring them home and then they taught us how to make strawberry jam, pancakes, bake cakes, you know, good stuff. So I was just (laughs) like, oh, one day I will become a chef. And then that's how that started my, and it's kind of sparkled my my interest in in tourism and hospitality. And my dream at Mm. that time when I was very young, I thought I'd work and then be a cabin crew for Air France or Sabina. Okay. You can tell my age when I say Sabina. <laughs> Nobody's judging. We're so young. <laughs> now commonly known as uh, SN Brussels, that I yeah. well, used to be called that name. And then I realized when I was growing up that uh, I don't want to be a cabin crew because you spend your time in one hotel and then you don't see destinations. So yeah, and then life turned out to be that I went to England and then studied tourism and as my undergrad follow mm-hmm. up by master's and later on I went to follow my PhD in tourism policy in the in the US so oh, that's yeah. how we started that's great so for me I'm always amazed to see I think uh I'll not say my generation but like friends of around my age uh will be either drawn to uh, tourism for some kind of crazy reasons like you saw something on tv you saw something you know not happening in Burundi but maybe like the opportunities that were um, available outside. When you studied tourism, did you in your heart be like, okay, I'll be back in Burundi or I'm just going to stay in the, you know, in Europe or in the US because obviously there are more opportunities around. Um, I always had a dream to go back home. And then let me just maybe put the context when I left Burundi, it was one Mm -hmm. of the, like the darkest moment of our country. And then we didn't see the future, any perspective of what you can do. But mm-hmm. I was very determined that the skills acquired, the knowledge and the network we, we build outside our country will definitely serve one way or another. So going back home is something maybe for kind of like long term, but mm-hmm. going back home, it's a, we, we, we will always call home Burundi. Yeah. So um, I'm still hoping that uh, an opportunity will come and then I will be gladly serving my country. Okay. So in that regard, I think you did something uh, in Burundi at some point. What was that? Yes, I did one. I took one sabbatical year, if I can call it that way, in the middle mm-hmm. of my PhD and then went to serve as the director general for the tourism board of my country. Um, I would say one of the biggest lessons I've learned because I had never worked for a public institution for a government, which mm-hmm. is a totally set up from if you have worked in private sector. Yeah. That's not always <laughs> something you think you can do, but I learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, that kind of sparkled my research actually for my PhD because I was now interested in um, tourism policy from the East mm-hmm. African community. And I was interested in the, uh, the fabric the, of emerging destinations. So uh, that's actually what I'll say on my, my, okay. my small time in Burundi in that position at the Director General of Burundi. How is that, uh, I think, because I think there's something I've learned about Burundi is that when you go work or intern there, there's, I don't know, like this spirit of resilience and patience that we learn uh, on the ground. Um, what did you learn there? 
other than visiting the the, the country, I guess, uh, what did you see, like the potential that was, uh, you know, hidden in Burundi? Uh, I'll, I'll just, first of all, I think for me, uh, the call to go and serve my country, I could not turn that down, even though I had another personal reason to go home that particular mm -hmm. year of 2014. But I, I was keen to, to be at the, at the helm of uh, an institution which, in my view, is important in signaling what the destination is and putting, implementing the policy of the government. Mm -hmm. uh, what I learned, first of all, tourism is always uh, regarded, it's not even for Burundi, for other destinations, as a sick child. We are not allocated mm -hmm. enough budgets. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always a fight between the Minister of Tourism and the Minister of Finance, because the Minister of Finance thinks that there's no need for advertising. Our industry is really pumping money for marketing, and then together return on your investment may take two to three years, even a decade. Yeah. So uh, I knew that our Burundi, where we were at that time, the focus was on products because Burundi, mm -hmm. as much as we Burundians believe we have a beautiful country, and then yeah. that's a fact. But we have a product which is an unfinished product. Uh, it's a product which we need to develop. Mm -hmm. Lake Tanganyika, as much as it's beautiful, it's missing activity. Yeah. Uh, a country where you still have a lack of infrastructure uh, and then things to do and also accessibility in terms of aviation. So th there was a lot of going on. And definitely I was not meant to solve all the problems, but I was just <laughs> keen to see whether what I'm learning and I have seen somewhere else can apply. What I really take as a... Um, I took as a lesson, it's, yes, there's a lot of resilience. Uh, we, we have a country which uh, has a lot of potential and definitely we can compete and complement other destinations in the region. We still stand as a, one, as a, as a destination which is complementing other destinations. We are not really a standalone destination. That's not what we are known for. So to, to connect it to the region and the participate in the circuit for those who come to visit East Africa was very important to me. And mm -hmm. then also to uh, raise awareness about our tourism for domestic tourism. People, what, what can you do? And for me, tourism is always seen as going to places. My, I, in my short period of time I was there, I was involved in music, festival, foods, activities, okay. getting people outside to do something. Because the city of Jumbra, we are known as a, you know, it's known <laughs> for, for it's a food, going out, kind of like labor. Parties, yes, yeah. Parties. And then that also has to be uh, registered as, as an activity. That's a leisure. That's another segment mm. of tourism. So first of all, uh, I, I was interested in, in giving... Um, some some life to what we do and publicize it and then tell the whole region that hey you can have a party in Bujumbura you can spend mm -hmm. the weekend and then you know people from Rwanda used to come to Burundi on weekend yeah, that was our, our biggest market so what I've learned you you know it's a destination which uh, is an unfinished product which needs a little bit of investment and a political will mm, I think it's <laughs> And everything. Uh, we all need a political will. But uh, yeah, so then you moved to another country. You went to uh, Kenya or Rwanda. What, what was the what was the next step when you left Burundi after you? Uh, professionally, when I left Burundi, I went to finish uh, another year of my PhD, and then I 
moved to Kenya in 2015 and I served as the regional coordinator for the East African community, uh, okay. the East African, East African tourism platform, which was a, an East African community umbrella for the tourism sector, driving the agenda of one destination, one nation, one visa. Uh, for two years, mm -hmm. we were pushing to see uh, across the board all the East African community embracing the one single tourist visa. Unfortunately, my country didn't join. So we still have Rwanda, Uganda, and Kenya uh, driving that agenda and enjoying the benefits of that single tourist visa. And also was harmonization of some of the policies when it comes to wildlife, uh, natural resources, mm -hmm. uh, cross-border movement of people and services, literally implementing what the EEC protocol says, particularly for the tourism sector. So, and then after my tenure, I moved to Rwanda since 2018, working on the MasterCard Foundation project, mm -hmm. focusing on skills development, uh, and then product developments uh, of uh, Republic of Rwanda to make a, a robust competitive destination, uh, not only on product, but also on human capital. All right. Uh, can I just come back a little bit about the visa? Um, what was that? Uh, how, what was the, the, the main purpose of the visa? Because I'm, I had never heard of that. Okay. Uh, the five countries of East African community, we, we, we have something in common. We attract mm -hmm. mainly visitors from three or four source markets. So you find that uh, the destinations like Rwanda, Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda are pushing for the American source market. Okay. And then the tourist who's, uh, who has an, an American passport will in the past will come and say, I'm coming to Kenya. They go for one visa for Kenya, another one for Rwanda, oh, yes, yeah. one for Tanzania, another one for Uganda. So it's not competitive if you have to really go through three different yeah. visa regimes, costing different tariffs, and, and that, that becomes a, 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 a challenge or even a hidden uh, obstacle for developing yeah. and then promoting your destination. So as part of the East African tourism plat platform, we were promoting that if you come to East Africa community for 90 days, all of us, we go for one visa. So giving more choices mm. to tourists to visit. So if you are coming to Uganda and say, hey, I still have 90 days visa. Why don't I hope to, to Kenya and then maybe spend five days in Kenya and then continue my journey to Serengeti in Tanzania. Yeah. And then come to Bujumbura just relaxing before you go. So that that's a, another marketing strategy, but it, mm. which is embedded from a political will. It requires a lot of diplomacy and seeing mm. that tourism is a trade. So we wanted to share the revenue from tourism. So you don't mm. offer only one visa. So that that's the single tourist visa, which has been uh, in, in place since 2012, but it was really promoted since 2014. And then the cost of one visa for the three countries for 90 days is $100. Instead of wow. paying $50 for Kenya, another yeah. $40 for Tanzania, not from, from to, for Rwanda wow. or Uganda. So it's one single tourist visa. And then another thing under the, the same work in the same line was to promote, for instance, you are a French resident with a work permit working in Uganda. Mm -hmm. And then you are here living in this region. And then instead of you being treated as a foreigner, 
then you benefit to uh, park fees like a residence. So you are treated as like one of us in the East African community. What that, that actually does to that, the tourism that are, you are an expert in the community, your purchasing mm -hmm. power is a little bit higher and then yeah. you, are, you have more tenants to go to national parks. We want you to spend. We are in the business of selling a destination. So then if you have maybe seen all the beautiful parks in Uganda and that's where you live, maybe you hop on the plane and then within a 45 minutes you're in Rwanda, you're yeah. trekking gorillas and then you're going to Kagera National Park. And then if you want, the next month you are in the Masai Mara or you are visiting Nakuru. So that was the, the philosophy. And then for wow. us residents as nationals of each of the five countries, the objective was that if you go to Rwanda, you mm -hmm. pay the same rates to enter any of the national parks as a Rwandan. So you are not discriminated. That was the philosophy That's of great. treating East Africa as one region. Okay, that is, okay. That is really great. Uh, it's a shame that it's not going as it should, should but anyway. Uh, so now that you're doing your work at uh, in Rwanda uh, at, this, at the moment, uh, what do you see, like, the, like what's the difference between um, Rwanda, the Rwandan, the Rwandan market and the Kenyan one? Uh, when you read, when someone reads the brochures, we get to see that one is really a focus on like a luxury. I would say Rwanda is focused on that. And uh, yes. and how did it come? Did they come up with this idea? I don't know if you have the answer, but just. Oh, right. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, first of all, I would like to just maybe take two minutes to explain a very simple concept of tourism. Mm -hmm. When we compare Rwanda and uh, Kenya, I always like to say it's very much comparing orange and apple, <laughs> two different things. Kenya has been in the game of tourism for more than a decade, you know, 100 years. Tourism yeah. is, is really uh, in, in the fabric of the economy of Kenya. <laughs> yeah. They've been beating us at this game for years, mm -hmm. you know, from movies to Masai Mara, to the culture, to their national parks. They, mm. music, uh, fashion, you know, if you look at the yeah. East African community, really they're, they're the powerhouse of tourism. Whereas Rwanda is really a young destination in the sense that are after the uh, genocide against the Tutsi, uh, the, the country started to build itself. But uh, mm. the products they, and the division, uh, tourism is, is a political decision. You decide of how you want to drive your sector. Yeah. Some destinations have chosen to be mass tourism and they can afford to do so. Other destinations, they choose to be more oriented towards this heritage and culture or religious tourism. Mm -hmm. Or other destinations say, we want to be the jack of all trade, we'll offer everything, anything. Mm. But for the case of Rwanda, the decision was also based on the size of the country, the potential they okay. have, the product they have. So mm -hmm. they went for high end, low volume, and then now pushing for the luxury destination, choosing who they want to be associated, associated with, and mm -hmm. then putting quality, uh, high standard, and then focusing on that aspect. So that's very simple. If you look at maybe if, if you say, you know, there's always a Starbucks and then um, another cafe and there's, a, there's there are the brands, right? It's yeah. the same for, for most uh, cars. There's a Mercedes, there's a BMW, there's a yeah. Toyota. So yeah. every product <laughs> in that sense, it, it reflects kind of mirrors to, to what we do in tourism. So 
the development of these countries are different. However, they complement each other in some aspect because they really push for the same market. You'll find that mm -hmm. tourists who come to visit Rwanda, most likely they have probably been to Kenya or they are doing the two okay. destinations together. And then if you have seen the gorillas, maybe you want to see the culture of Kenya and you go to Kenya. Okay. Uh, so it, we, we, the ideal situation is to see East African complementing each other because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, our, our region is competing with the SADC. We are competing with South Africa, Zimbabwe, mm. Zambia combined. Yeah. We are competing with Botswana and then the whole southern circuits in the south. And also we are competing with the northern Tunisia, Morocco, Egypt. So we need to see how we work together. So mm. from that angle, I'll say the two destinations are different. Mm -hmm. uh, they offer different uh, things. Rwanda is now pushing for the MICE sector, which is meetings and yeah. incentives and conferences. They invest a lot of in, in infrastructure. Likewise, Kenya have been in this game for many, many years, <laughs> but yeah. they attract different uh, markets. And then each one has a unique selling point and then products. And that's something you keep going and changing and then adapting to the market and see how you are Today, today you may be a winner and tomorrow someone else is going to be winning and it's 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 competitive. It's a very competitive sector. That's interesting. Yesterday I was talking with a friend and we were talking about how some countries are pushing uh, the sports tourism. This is where my work actually with my firm, that's what we do, is to find the intersection and the events and the opportunities in the country. And it's interesting to see how Rwanda is really pushing the sports tourism. And they really understand something that when you have people, fans coming into a country to cheer for, I don't know, for a football game or anything, they have the means now to just welcome those guys, those fans and who want to spend money. Where do they see themselves like in the, I don't know, 10 years? Because they have football, uh, they have basketball now, uh, cricket are here or cycling, any other games. I, I don't know, polo maybe in Kenya. I've, um, I heard that there is a polo. Uh, thing field in Kenya. How do they, those two those two countries, although it's not the only ones, because we have Uganda and we have Tanzania as well. How do they understand and and like work with uh, companies and hotels to just like, as you said, it's a government obviously uh, willingness to do so. But where's that understanding coming from compared to others? Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Alex. Uh, the vision uh, and it, tourism, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decision which has to be uh, embedded in your, your vision of where, how and where you want to go as a destination. So uh, many destinations, it's not only Rwanda, uh, South Africa, Uganda, Tanzania next door, and, and some countries in South Asia, they, they have pushed to... To diversify, it's the diversification keyword here we are looking for. Mm -hmm. Yes, Rwanda is known for gorillas, but what else? What else can you yeah. put on the table? Absolutely. What else can you add as a, as a, as a, as a product? Because at the end of the day, it's to try to extend the number of days people spend in Rwanda. If yeah. you've been to Rwanda on leisure purposes, now can you add maybe one day and play golf? Because that's mm. a sport that luxury market is interested in. Uh, and for sports, you have to invest in very good infrastructure. So yeah. that's why you have seen the arena, which has been the dome, yeah. really the whole infrastructure available in Rwanda. 
and then also other other destinations what they are doing because sport tourism is not only for for those who come from outside to play games but also you allow even the domestic market to utilize those space, yeah. uh, spaces you have for other leisure activity and then create within what i'll call homegrown event uh, culture so mm. now you have concerts you have music you have fashion you have so many things you can mm. do around all those facilities because those things cost some money to even maintain so yeah. an empty stadium is it requires water electricity whatever yeah. it is so who's going to pay for it so it's it, you have to really be creative and then mm. tell your market that there's a new product on the market you have to offer That's great. Um, the second uh, side, I guess, of this question will be the human capital that you talked about. Um, obviously, being in, in Africa and us having been to school and studied uh, hospitality, there is a reason why we didn't study it in, uh, in the EAC region. How, what's happening there? Like how many schools are coming up? How many, like the, the availability of just getting to know the the work, you know, to have even an interest. Where do you go? You say, I want to study uh, hospitality. You ask your parents and they say like, go here, go there. I don't know what's happening in Rwanda and Kenya and Uganda. Yes, you are right, Alex. I think many of us, 20 years ago, hospitality and tourism was not even an option on the table as yeah. a terms of career, nevertheless, even in education pathway or skills you could acquire anywhere unless you were lucky to go outside. So now the landscape has changed. Uh, of course, Kenya is leading, of course, with their famous Utali College. It's uh, been there for many, many years, has trained incredible talents, hotel mm -hmm. managers working all over the world. Some of them, I've met them in Florida, Disneyland, in Dubai, mm -hmm. in Paris. They have really a footprint of their human capital. I think Kenyans have really worked on this game for so many years. And Utali College was actually built on the replica of Ecole Hotelière de Lausanne in Switzerland. So you oh. can see where Kenya was 40 years ago when they went and then say, we want to build our, our tourism and we need human capital. So many of the chefs come some of the top chefs we have in East African community come from Kenya. Okay. So now, as, as, as I'm speaking from Rwanda, if you want to build now a destination which is really a luxury destination, you mm -hmm. need to be at par with the promise you, you make. So you expect that you come to Rwanda and you are finding yourself in a fine dining restaurant. So you don't mm -hmm. want to see chef from, let's say, I don't know, Morocco, Paris, whatever. Yeah. You want to see London. But to get there, it takes time. It's an investment in human capital. Sure. It requires that you invest in schools and capacity in terms of lecturers. And then you associate it with yourself with the top in that brand of schools offering mm -hmm. the quality education. Currently, under the MasterCard Foundation, Randa is being really supported. And then currently, we have Vatel, uh, a hotel yeah. business which mm -hmm. has a, a, a headquarter in uh, Lyon in France. I think that's yeah. where you are sitting right now. Yeah. Yeah. So they have a campus in Rwanda and their first cohort graduating next year. So a, a group of Ooh. 30 students who are going to really change the landscape. These are new young Rwandans born in Rwanda who are going to transform the face of hospitality and tourism wow. in Rwanda. 
And also we have Cornell, you know, the American school offering a diploma and certificates for those who are already in the industry who want to specialize in hospitality management. That's already another plus. And of course, the Rwanda Polytechnics, um, integrated polytechnics, teaching TVET schools for those who are really at the low of the bottom. So cooks, housekeepers, okay. food and beverage, those really who support the industry, you know, the food soldiers, sure. as we call them. Yeah. So that also, also says something, says that as a destination, you may have the best product. You may have the most amazing product in terms of, mm. you know, the best gorillas. You may have built the best convention center. You may have the best airline. But what you want also is to see how you create jobs mm. and provide the skills set required to take you to that direction you want. That is amazing. So what's, because it feels like MasterCard Foundation is doing a heck of a job in Rwanda. Uh, do they help? Like, do they help you with people finding people? What What is their support in on the on the country? I'll say. Well, I would like to say that our Mastercard Foundation is one of the initiatives among many other initiatives supporting okay. uh, the vision of Rwanda. Of course, everything is embedded in the vision of Rwanda through Rwanda Development Boards. Mastercard mm -hmm. is one of the partners among many other partners. But for the initiatives I'm, I'm, I'm discussing right now, it's not only uh, education also, but also they are looking at uh, supporting women in, in small, medium enterprises who are involved in tourism. Mm -hmm. They are also supporting... Uh, financial uh, access to capital for those who want to start business in tourism so it's a it's a it's a it's a network of different partners supporting the the tourism sector in Rwanda but that doesn't mean that's only Mastercard Foundation doing it there are other partners supporting the government of Rwanda but also the government run investing money because tourism generates income and then yeah. it's the money generated from tourism which is now injected back to actually invest in human capital, in product, mm -hmm. in infrastructure, and continue to promote the destination at a higher level and always push for that extra envelope because that's what they want to be. And understood also that are, the competitiveness of this destination is for you to go always the extra mile. All right. Um, I saw as well on LinkedIn that you're a board member of Aquila Institute. Can you tell us about that? Uh... That institute? Oh, yes. Uh, we recently changed, actually, it's a Davis College, Aquila. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, I've been serving as a board member for more than seven years, eight years, actually. And mm -hmm. currently, the chairperson of the board, or random board. Uh, I'm proudly involved in this institution. We train uh, women. Up to last year, we were only receiving and then enrolling women in hospitality program and tourism, mm -hmm. so hospitality program, entrepreneurship and information systems. So this year, after 10 years, we are now encouraging young men to actually come on board and learn. And uh, this is something I'm very proud of because I, I am passionate about education for women. And mm -hmm. then I, I believe that I once there's a platform provided for them. There's a lot they can do. And mm -hmm. uh, yes, so I, I am proud to be associated with uh, an amazing uh, school 
Uh, some of our graduates have gone to do amazing things. So some of them are currently general manager of hotels in Rwanda. Some have gone outside the country. Uh, we have very, very good candidates who come out of the school because we <laughs> respond to the market needs. We mirror what the industry needs. We are always research oriented. We want to know what's, what's happening on the ground. And uh, I think if I'm not really uh, saying that I'm proud only, I am also the mm -hmm. conscience that I would like to see the model we have built, we have tried and failed and continue innovating it mm -hmm. and changing it, be replicated in other parts of Africa. I think we have some succeeded in doing something, I think respond to the need of young women and men yeah. continent. I think, uh, I don't know if I told you this last time, but uh, uh, the, the moment I came across Akila uh, was, uh, I guess, a former an alumni uh, who reached out to me on LinkedIn and because I guess she saw I was Burundian and she asked me a question about hospitality in the hospitality industry and, you know, the challenges that we may have to encounter along the way. And, and I was blown away. I was like, it is so not Burundian. Uh, to ask questions and to reach out to people and be like, can you tell me what was your experience at uh, Hotel Club de Lacton Medica, for example? And it, it was interesting because at the end, not only did we get to talk a bit and I found out that she graduated and finished, but I was, um, I don't know, like not confused, but I was like, is this something like part of the curriculum in their killer where you can um, help them like through mentorship or you know, the leadership skills that you, you guys um, help them with is, because Burundians were known to be really, I, I'm not gonna speak for Rwandese, but I think Burundians, we tend to be uh, close-minded, we don't ask questions. And I was happy and hopeful for the future and be like, is this something they're they learning in class now? I don't know, I don't know if you can ask. Oh, Alex, what we focus on uh, at Aquila, our first few months is really polishing on communication skills. Mm -hmm. The leadership component is very key because we train not only hospitality professionals of tomorrow, but we believe they are already leaders in their own community in their own way. Yeah. And then our curricula is based on the fact that they come to learn what I'll call the, the prerequisites to communicate in a world demanding a lot from them tomorrow. So we build on the self-confidence. We believe that are, they need to be assertive. They need mm -hmm. to speak for themselves. They need to be the voice That's of great. those who don't have the opportunity to serve. So we build our curricula, not only developing the academic part, but also the personal experience. And who is the person? Our, our, our recruitment uh, has become very much uh, data-driven and we, we really rely on our excellent team of experts who look for the brilliant young women, men to really come and serve through the school we, we, we have, but also mm -hmm. outside the school. So we, we are not really interested only on the academic part. That's okay. critically important. They have to graduate with the, the right diplomas so they can go and work. Mm -hmm. But they come to us as people, and the best mm -hmm. investment is in people. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that uh, you got a call from them. You are probably impressed how assertive they are, very quick, yeah. and then good English. Uh, yes. uh, yeah. Just to see someone who's like from this area, like, 
man, you're asking me about this? Because actually she was the first person, I think for now, the only one who really wanted to, uh, the, the other person was a friend of mine, but it's different. It was a different, we were friends. But for someone to be like, I'm going to get in touch with someone I don't know and then ask questions. And I was like, okay, that's uh, that's pretty cool. All right. Thanks for the compliment. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know who's the person, but uh, credit goes to our team I'll let you. lecturers <laughs> and everyone behind it. All right. Uh, the other thing I want to talk a bit, uh, it's always impressive for me when I have friends asking me if I know how to cook. Burundian food if there is such thing as Burundian food of course uh me coming here and you know living in Burundi for some time I never really knew, learned how to cook isombe or you know like local local food but I don't know how to prepare macaron I don't know how to prepare like uh, normal food that we eat on a daily basis uh having a hospitality school um, schools actually in Africa and East Africa. Are we, are we learning the French way? Are we learning the Russian way? Are we learning the American way? Or are we just incorporating something new as well and be like, this is a local food. Um, let's do this. No. Oh, I'm glad you're asking this question because <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm amazed how the, um, the culinary scene in the East African community is changing. So, okay. of course, we borrow a lot from the Western cuisine, uh, French sure. cuisine, Italian cuisine from all over the world. Mm -hmm. However, I think African cuisine is very rich, but it needs also to be uh, transformed into a serious business in yeah. terms of presentation in terms of uh, ingredients and then it needs a story you know while mm. eating i don't know spaghetti bolognese there's a story about it and then you yeah. even know what to drink with it <laughs> why do we eat i don't know what french dish i like i don't know i'm on top of my head Everything. right now yes <laughs> and then what is amazing is actually we are starting to see in the kitchen faces of african chefs Mm -hmm. who come to look for a story of the food they cook. And then mm -hmm. funny enough, yesterday I was dining in one of the restaurants of Vatel and the chef, Paul, who's from Malawi, mm -hmm. but trained in South Africa, in Cape Town, in one of the best hotels and restaurants in the world. Okay. So now he's in Rwanda. So his, his story of food, you may eat tilapia, but there's a story around tilapia. Where mm -hmm. do you find tilapia? Is it on Lake Victoria? Where? Yeah. And then what is Lake Victoria? If you eat a salad of vegetables, where, where, where do you mm -hmm. buy them? What is the story? What is the season? What mm -hmm. are the ingredients? So in the kitchen, we are starting to see people who are coming up with the science. I always okay. kind of like put the science part of tourism and hospitality in, in a science aspect because people think, mm -hmm. oh, we can do it. Food is a science. You need to really Absolutely. create a story. You need to talk about it. So, you know, we have another chef in, in Rwanda who's doing amazing work. Uh, He's from Congo and then now mm -hmm. working Rwanda um, and those are the people we really believe will change the the, the scene and the landscape mm -hmm. so if you go to a restaurant soon you'll be seeing I don't know igitoke um, in, a, in a very spicy and sexy way on the plates mm -hmm. you're gonna eat bugali I don't know how they're gonna make it happen but I'm sure <laughs> we're gonna see something different so yeah. we're starting to see a different but they they had opportunity to go 
and train and come back. Yeah. And then now they're now on the continent and they're training the new breed of okay. chefs in the kitchen who can actually be part of the change we want to see. Oh, wow. Okay. Hopefully we'll be traveling there sooner. It's uh, better be really nice. All right. So the last question will be, what will be your vision uh, of the tourism industry? Let's just say in the next five to 10 years, what will be your wishes? Oh, if you had asked me this question prior to March, I'm sure I would have never had the same answer <laughs> with COVID-19. Uh, I, I think for us who work in the industry, the hospitality and tourism, I, I really still believe in two things. Mm -hmm. We are in the business of setting dreams, aspiration. Mm -hmm. People want to go places. People are longing to connect to places. They, they are seeking a story. And then that philosophy is embedded in who we are as human beings. We are really social creatures. We want to see, we want to go, we want to see other places. So that already, if you look at how many people are on this planet who can afford to travel, that gives me hope. Uh, it, it, it cannot just be defined and say, this is just a bleak outlook and affects everyone on earth, we, we're going to travel again. And I'm sure even yourself, you cannot wait to go out and then yeah. see the world. And then maybe now you even have a, your list of bucket lists getting bigger yeah. and bigger because you realize, That's oh, true. I haven't been to this place. And then and yeah. you're going to try to see something different. <laughs> and then for us who are really involved in development, in policy and vision, we were shaken. I think we mm. took things for granted. And then the business model, which was uh, currently working in some destinations, was was kind of like shaken. And then also calling for people to look at themselves in the mirror and say, "Is this possible? Is this can be? Can can this be replicated and done after COVID nineteen? If there's anything called after COVID nineteen." Yeah. So now, uh, in, what is important and the vision we have, and personally as a, as a, as someone who's been in the industry, I I. We will bounce back. Mm -hmm. I have seen in my recent memories quite significant crisis which affected the tsunami, uh, yeah. the economic crisis in the US, uh, recently, you know, terrorist attack here and there. But that has not really stopped us to go places. Yeah. But we maybe right, right now how our industry needs to reflect is to say we took things for granted. We need to look at ourselves specifically for emerging destination and young destination on the continent mm -hmm. of Africa. Over-reliance on the Western market has definitely shaken us to the core, yeah. meaning you cannot continue to put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Growing the domestic market, nurturing it, it doesn't happen overnight. We still have countries where GDP per capita is still low. People have no means to travel, but it's a, it's a continuous exercise. It's an incremental process. Second, uh, now we go in the sphere of uh, diplomacy and political. You need to really open up to your neighbors. They are the people who will come visit you first. When you open the borders, you don't open only your airspace, but also you open the space for people to go from one area to the other. And I would yeah. like to define tourism in a broader term. Tourism is not just to visit friends and relatives. Tourism is religious tourism, is health tourism, medical tourism, education mm -hmm. tourism, 
you have seen how the American universities are suffering because if I'm not mistaken, around 25% of their income come from international students. <laughs> so if you talk about tourism, there's education tourism, religious tourism, trade, you know, cross border between one place to the other. And then all those things really fall into tourism. So I still believe that we will come back as a tourism, but redefine in different ways. And then maybe start looking for solution within more than outside. Mm. Yes. So pretty interesting five years, 10 years we have. 2030 should be a pretty good time to look back and, you know, either congratulate ourselves for having done something or I don't know, having a better vision. I don't know. Like, but it is true. I, I myself, I am hopeful for the things that are happening in Africa, especially in the East. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll be seeing changes in the near future. We'll be seeing changes. And then I encourage everybody really to say, if you are in, in Africa, you happen to be in, in Burundi, Rwanda or Kenya, Maybe now on your bucket list, start supporting your local um, tourism sector. Go instead mm -hmm. of planning your trip to Cape Town or Victoria Falls or Dubai, the usual mm -hmm. places. Say, I'm just going to go. I'm, I live in Nairobi. I'm going to go to Nakuru for one weekend. Because mm -hmm. once you support the industry, you create jobs, you sustain the small, medium mm -hmm. enterprises, and they they're still alive and they contribute to the GDP and then they create employment and mm. then it's, it's a whole cycle. So if you have been to Kenya and then you say, oh, I haven't actually been to Uganda, this is the time to plan your trip. Like, go closer to home. You go from Kigali and say, maybe I'm just going to go to Gisenyi on the lake and come back. So mm. now look for solutions which are affordable and, you know, pocket friendly near yeah. to home there's no covid test to do maybe you, you visit within your mm. own destination participating in rebuilding and contributing to this sector because it's your visit means someone having an opportunity to earn an income yeah is to support true. someone who sells your breakfast your tomatoes your eggs mm. what you, whatever you eat is to support the, the travel sector in terms of transportation it's to support anyone who's a guide. So it's the whole value chain yeah. is standing. So I will say, let's look for solution within and be the best ambassadors of what we have. Mm, absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. Honestly, it's, uh, it's been a blessing. It's been a really fun time. Just even researching what I thought I knew about uh, the East African tourism. And uh, yeah, it feels, it feels like I'm glad to be like I always, I'm always glad to be Burundian, but it's like oh no, actually, I can bring on friends in 2021, maybe 2022. But yeah, I feel like there's uh, more to see in the area, and glad to see that things are changing. And you're part of the game, so and, and, and take advantage, take advantage <laughs> of all the the, the rebates we have. Many countries have actually gone slashed down almost the prices. Yeah. True. You know, gorillas now in Rwanda as a, as a resident, as an East African from $1,500 to $200, then jump mm. on it and then take yeah. an advantage. Some hotels have very exciting and inviting uh, oh. competitive rates. So for the next two years, really, uh, if you can come and, yeah. and visit and bring your friends, we, we yeah. <laughs> your friends. True. Kigali so bring, the, bring the euros, the euros of the dollars, <laughs> contribute to our economy. Yes. <laughs>
<laughs> I said true. Uh, so thank you very much and really uh, good luck for the rest and, you know, for the post-COVID, obviously, and for the work that's ahead and for your team and the, the, the work that you're doing for, whether it's the school or a foundation or any other uh, work endeavor that you have in, on your mind. And yeah, thank you for having stayed in EAC. It's uh, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you All very right. much for the opportunity and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> me too. All right, cheers. Cheers, bye. Rapos de merci. Yeah.